they just see you put on a baseball uniform and yeah. excel and they I think, well, no you idea. should have it all together. And, yeah. and what I tell people all the time is I was broken before I ever put the uniform on. And it was my pain of who I was that led me to my greatness. Mm-hmm. And it would be my greatness eventually lead me to my destructive behaviors. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. If you've been enjoying the podcast, would you take a minute to log onto your favorite podcast platform, rate us, and leave us a review? It would be a tremendous help and allows others to find us easily. Leave us a review, and perhaps next episode, we'll mention you on the show. Baseball is America's favorite pastime, and as a native to Atlanta, this past year was an exciting time for our city. The Atlanta Braves won the World Series. Baseball is full of excitement on and off the field, a true American sport for our non-American listeners out there. Today, I have the great honor to welcome one of America's greatest athletes, famed baseball player, Daryl Strawberry. Daryl Strawberry is a former professional baseball player who rose to fame in 1980 and became the number one draft pick at the age of 18. Three years later, he became Rookie of the Year and went on to play 17 seasons in Major League Baseball. He was one of the most feared sluggers in the sport, known for his home runs. During his baseball career, he helped lead the New York Mets to a World Series championship and the New York Yankees to three World Series championships. Today, Daryl shares with us his incredible story from a childhood of abuse to a fast rise to fame. His struggles of drug abuse and chasing a life with no meaning left him empty. Through trials and pain, his eyes were opened to the truth of the gospel and what salvation and discipleship from the Lord looked like. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Christ and the importance of discipleship in your own life. Now, on to our Candid Conversation. Daryl, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Candid Conversations. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And I hope the title doesn't scare you. Sometimes it scares people when they think about (laughs) what does it mean to be candid? How candid are we going to be here? Um, you have a fascinating story. In fact, you're here at Church of the Apostles to share your testimony and uh, a great number of hundreds of people who don't yet know Christ will be sitting in seats and um, hopefully, as we've just prayed, their hearts are being prepared uh, to hear the gospel and to hear a story of transformation in your own life. So for people who maybe haven't followed your career or your headlines that you've carried, positive and negative, Tell us a little bit about yourself. What was growing up like, Los Angeles area? What was home life like? Well, again, thanks for having me. And I I think it's really cool that we get to talk about the story of our life. I think it's important that we understand that we all have a story. Yeah. And um, God's not looking for perfect people. He's just looking for people who are available. So He's not going to find them. I know. (laughs) So let's kind of just make that clear that, you know, the listeners will be able to hear that and understand that. Uh, my childhood life was uh, very dysfunctional. My father was raised an alcoholic, and mm. you know it was just a, just a nightmare to live in the home and to have him come home drunk all the time. He came home the last time 
you know, drunk when I was about 14, pulled out a shotgun, said he was going to kill the whole family. Me and my brothers went into action. Had it not been for my mother getting us out of the house, we probably would have killed him that night. And when I think about it, she reminded us that she took the shells out of the shotgun, but we didn't know at that time. Yeah, yeah, wow. wow and wow. so that night he woke up and the whole house woke up and we just went into action. My older brother yeah. told my father uh, to just get out of the house and leave us alone. Yeah. And um, he started threatening all of us. And me and my other brother, Ronnie, went into action. And so we came very close to where it could have been. A complete tragedy. Yeah. They just see you put on a baseball uniform and yeah. excel and they I think, well, no you idea. should have it all together. And, yeah. and what I tell people all the time is I was broken before I ever put the uniform on. Mm. And it was my pain of who I was that led me to my greatness. Mm. And it would be my greatness eventually lead me to my destructive behaviors. Gosh. What a cyclical pattern. I know. It's a real reality of life. Yeah. Because we never know what happens to people. We right. just think they should have it all together and it yeah. should work out. Yeah, we make assumptions, right? Yes. That we, can be unhelpful. We assume that, you know, yeah. they got it all, you know, and I think that's what people look at, you know, yeah. look at the perspective of, you know, when you do achieve that you have it all. But in reality, you really don't. None of us really have it all, no, right? no matter how good it looks. Yeah, yeah. There's some deep rooted issues, there's some stories. There's some things people don't talk about. Mm. I can tell you this. Money covers up everything. It makes everything a little bit better for you. Right. You know, because you get to live a very comfortable lifestyle, you know, after you go into a place of excelling and achieving. Yeah. And, but yeah. it does not make you well. And this is what people need to understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, I experienced this uh, my whole Major League Baseball career, yeah. trying to be well on the inside and trying to improve myself. And having know, money to sort of cover some of the failures and the absences in your life. No right? question. Yeah, yeah. It, because if you get in trouble, you can always go get a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, right. To fight for you. you. Get yourself out of And whatever. somebody to stand there and fight for you because they know you can pay, you know, you wow. can pay a lawyer. And, yeah. But what it does is it does not make you hold inside, you know. Right. And I think that's what um, a society misunderstand. Yeah. You know, what wholeness is. They think wholeness is because you come to a place and you achieve, you should have it all together. And I think that's what it was for my case. But, you know, I was, like I said, I was already broken coming out of the household and I was already troubled as a teen, didn't have a father figure in my life. Father never saw me play Little League, Um, didn't show up until I was in high school and saw me play high school baseball and realized that I was going to be good. So he wanted to start coming around, but I never had a relationship with him. Yeah. The relationship was already broken from the time of him leaving the house yeah, yeah. and the time of me becoming a professional athlete. So w- there was nothing there in common. Mm. And so the distance between us was broken. And, mm. and it was like that for many years mm. of my life. And, you know, I struggled for a very long time and I struggled hating him growing up and playing Major League Baseball. And, you know, because, you know, when he used to beat me, he used to tell me I would never amount to anything. And so I go on to yeah yeah but so that served as a as a driver for you that was a driving force for me yeah yeah from a negative sense right, right? I mean it's like I got to prove him wrong and I felt like I proved him wrong because here it is yeah. I made it yeah you know, I arrived to be a, a major league baseball player but not just an average player but a great player yeah, yeah. on top of it and being successful and but still at the time of getting all that I was still empty. On the inside. Because I used to hit home runs, used to hit grand slams, win championships. And I used to say to myself, who am I? Because 
I think most people don't understand you having a uniform on with your name on the back and a team on the front. That's not who you are. That's just what you do. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. because that what you do will come to an end yes. one day. And then who are you? Yeah. And I think this happens to so many athletes. They yeah. end up in this place of who am I? And that's why they're still chasing after the dream. Can't get away from it, yeah. holding on to it. And because they don't really know who they are, all they do is identify themselves and what they do. Yeah. And I just remember along my life, you know, I was like that for so long yeah. until my wife today, Tracy, who wasn't my wife at the time was my girlfriend. She said one day to me, when are you going to take off the uniform? And I was kind of blown away wow. to hear that because yeah. it kind of rang my bell. Yeah. The reality. Yeah. When are you going to take Steps. off the uniform and stop identifying yourself and what you used to do instead of who God created you to be? And I was kind of blown away f from that statement when she yeah. said that. And yeah. that really opened my eyes to see that it was more to life mm. than what I achieved, you know, from a baseball standpoint, yeah. which, you know, I think a lot of people will always hold on to yeah. is the baseball part of me. But sure. that part of me is no longer exists yeah. because I finally let go of that. Yeah. You know, I finally yeah. had to let go of that and I came to a better place and a better understanding yeah. the purpose of life. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times we don't understand that life is not forever. It's short lived and it goes fast. So if you don't really identify yourself in the reason and the purpose for you here, then you miss out on that. Absolutely. And, and that's the sad part, you know, and I, I knew that because my mother was a believer mm. and I knew my mother was praying for me mm. when I was living a heathen lifestyle, rich and famous and playing major league baseball and achieving all these things. My mother was praying for me. And I, how do I know that? Because she was a prayer warrior. And when she passed away at the age of 55, mm. my sister found a journal under her bed mm. and her journal was praying to God about all her kids being saved. And she prayed to God that God would knock me off of my throne and save me. So she goes home to be with the Lord. Yeah. And this journal comes to life. And guess what? Her prayers come to pass because what she prayed for, God would eventually knock me off my throne and save me. Yeah. And just what my mother prayed about. Yeah. And so that's knowing, that's the confirmation of knowing that it was more to my life than just achieving yeah. from a baseball yeah. standpoint. Yeah, it's very much... Uh if you know the story of St. Augustine and his mother, Monica, same thing, wild, rebellious lifestyle, mother's praying for him, praying for him, praying for him. And then he ends up becoming a, one of the fathers of the faith and, and the Christian traditions and the things he's written has been profound for Christians for centuries. Um, okay. So your mother is praying that you are tumbled off your throne. Let's talk about that sort of growth process. What did it look like in your, I mean, you rushed into fame quite quickly. I mean, your career really took off early on. Yeah, fame was like when I was 18 in high school. Um, but no you one don't want to go through that. No, <laughs> no one should have no, to go no through that. No one's prepared mentally and, and emotionally as an 18-year-old. No, um, <laughs> no one is prepared for that. And, you know, think about it is, yeah. you know, be called the black Ted Williams coming out of high school, 18 years old. And I'm going, my God, who is Ted Williams? <laughs> I, I just wanted to play baseball. Yeah, I just loved playing baseball and I didn't realize – High bar. You know, been yeah, set. it was a very high standard, you yeah. know, of, of putting me in, you know, being the number one pick in a draft, first pick in a draft in 1980 out of high school by the New wow. York Mets. And then when they drafted me, came to my classroom since, you know, the New York Mets have drafted you, number one pick. I goes, where the heck is New York at? Because I've never been out of California. And, you know, I've only played baseball in California and know about California baseball. Sure, yeah. Growing up in L.A., you're a Dodger fan. I did. And that was the reality of my life, you know, seeing the Dodgers play. And 
and realizing that I like baseball because I saw the Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds play all the time. And they used to have that game of the week, you know, and then I used to see this one player on the Cincinnati Reds and his name was Pete Rose. And I realized that's what a baseball player looks like. You know, his name was Pete Rose and he called him Charlie Hustle. And and the reason why I liked him because his uniform was always dirty, you know, so his hard work that showed me what baseball was really all about. You know, a lot of other guys were much more talented players than he was. Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, you know, they had a bunch of guys that were more Tony Perez. They had all these other guys, but he was the hardest working player on the field. So I realized that that's what baseball really is all about. If you really want to play baseball. So I realized that I wanted to play baseball because I saw Pete Rose as Charlie Hustle. Wow. 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 And so drafted out of high school, I'm guessing through a farm system, you're playing through the Mets and then work your way up into the into the big leagues. I mean, well, early on. Yeah, I went through the farm system and it was, that was a treat within themselves, you know. And when I think about it and I say that, it's because it was really challenging, you know, because you were going back in the South to play Lynchburg, Virginia. And I just remember hearing a lot of racial things. And you, again, only had familiarity with California. This, this would have been total culture I shock. was 19 years old when I got to Lynchburg and, and – the, the stuff that I heard coming out of some of the fans' mouth was just like, are you kidding me? Where am I? I? Was, I was like, I didn't sign up for this here, you know. Go back and in I, time. And I just remember my coach, Gene Dusan, was my coach. He's a white coach, Gene Dusan, and he was really cool, and I loved him, loved his family. And he used yeah. to tell me, do not look up there. Every yeah. time I ran back to the dugout, he says, I do not ever want you to look up there. Yeah. Because he figured if I ever looked up there, then yeah. because of what was being said, he figured that – I probably would run up there with the bat and probably start yeah. eliminating yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And he did End not of career. Yeah, he did not want me to <laughs> right. he kept me focused yeah, and I yeah. struggled that year. Hmm. I remember going to Jackson, Mississippi the next year, uh, in the Texas League. And I remember I became a baseball player. I won the Texas League MVP that year. And that's when I became a baseball player. I didn't become a man. I became a baseball player. Yeah. See when I look back and recognize now, yeah, you know, I was just a baseball player. You know, right, right, throughout right. that whole time, putting on the uniform, wow. Wow. Texas League, getting to the big leagues, 1983, winning National League Rookie of the Year. I became a baseball player. I became a baseball player because of people pushing me. Yeah. Then I think about when I got to the big leagues, Jim Fry, who was the hitting coach. And I just remember one day I was supposed to be at the ballpark early and I wasn't there. Um, and he came to my locker when I got into the ballpark and he looked at me. And he was looking up at me and says, I'm never going to wait for you again. If you want to be a great Major League Baseball player, you need to have your behind here at the ballpark early every day. And I was there early every day from that point. And I go on and win National League Rookie Mm -hmm. of the Year that year, 1983, because of him pushing me and showing me how to become a Major League Baseball player. He goes, you have all the talent, but you got to work at this. You know, and he made me work and – understand what it was going to take to be a major league player. And I just remember before he passed away, you know, uh, maybe a year ago, I got a chance to call him mm-hmm. and I got a chance to finally just thank him for, you know, my career and allowing me to be such a great player. It was because of him. Mm-hmm. He jump started me and the kind of player that I could be at the major league level. Yeah. And I was able to be successful and I got the chance to tell him, thank you for that. Wow. You know, I didn't wow. realize that he was what a sick. Privilege. Yeah. yeah. And it was just such a, great moment for me and he was just on the other end of the phone he goes kid you don't know how much this means to me for you to Mm. pick up the phone and call me to Mm. tell me that Mm. i said i just needed to let you know i would have never became a player 
uh, that I became at the major mm-hmm. league level had mm-hmm. it not been for you. Yeah, a lot of other people want to take credit, yeah. you know, for me yeah. excelling and everything, but I know the person that helped me become who I became as a major league player. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've used this phrase that you weren't a man, you were a baseball player. Okay, so what was life like during all this sort of heyday of rookie of the year and, and all these accolades that are coming your way, all-star, all that sort of thing? A life was pretty confusing, you know, just really trying to figure out who am I, mm-hmm. you know, the confusing of life and understanding, you know, that I was a baseball player, but what is it like to be a man? You yeah. know, because we never were taught. No, right. You hadn't had it modeled for you. Yeah, yeah. I never, I never got a chance to see what that looked like in the house. Yeah. So guess what? Life was fast. You know, dad was alcoholic. He was always chasing women. Now, guess what I ended up doing? Life was fast. I was an alcoholic, drug addict. I was always chasing women. You know, it, it just became the same pattern that I saw. Yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah, it, wow. it was never uh, a life of stability. I always wanted a home life. I was always married. Yeah. You know, and my first wife and my second wife, I was always married, had family and kids. And I love my kids. And I, today I still do and have a great relationship with them. But I didn't know, you know, the confusing of life mm-hmm. was just who am I? You know, what what is this all about? You know, what is yeah. what is this all about? Of people raving over you and people talking about you, you know, and you trying to live up to it. Yeah. their expectations yeah. and you have to prove a point and stuff yeah. like that. What is this all about? This yeah. It was no, it's not fun. You know, yeah. I think people think it's a lot of fun and yeah. they don't understand the, the pressure know, expectation and the, and the pressure yeah. of performing. It's very real. You know, yeah. when, when the media is always talking about you and they're hyping you up, I was on the cover of seven sports illustrators and I was making all these all-star games and, and appearances. And I was doing all that stuff before you know, the time of, of, of what it was like. And, but at the same time, you know, who am I? I used to always question that point about my life. Yeah. Yeah. There's obviously confusion. You're patterning your life after what you've seen modeled for you to some degree. At what point does it all kind of start to crumble and fall apart? Right. We, we talked about how money can kind of like undergird a lot of this before it all comes to its own end. Where's the point where, Everything is being stripped back for you in that process. Well, I think after playing eight years in the big leagues and achieving all these things and yeah. being on the top and then having yeah. it all and yeah. then you know, signing a free agent deal and going yeah. to California to play. I think, back home. Back home in L.A. Yeah. And, and I think that's where all the things started to turn in a different way. Mm-hmm. After my first season there, I had a good first season there. Then, you know, because I accepted the Lord in 1991 okay. in my free agent year, my first wife, uncle, he took me to a crusade mm-hmm. in Anaheim, mm-hmm. and it was a more Cirillo crusade. Yeah. Yeah. And I went there and I heard the gospel for the first time for like four days in a row, you know. And I just remember being there and hearing the gospel of Jesus, hearing him speak about Jesus every night, and I just cried every night. I'm quite sure everybody was wondering, why is this guy crying? He probably should be happy. You know, here he is. He's a free agent. He's playing. Yeah. Everybody played baseball here yeah. in L.A., and he's yeah. just signed the second biggest contract in baseball. But it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the baseball. I had already done that. You were still looking for identity. Yeah. yeah. I had already played eight years. So yeah, I already yeah. made $8 million. It already had a bunch of stuff. you know. And here it is. I hit a gospel, and I hear this man talking about Jesus every day. And he says, well, Sunday is going to be the service of, of laying hands in, on people in partition 
you know, the power of God. If you want to come down, nobody's forced to go down. It's a choice. Sure, sure. So I go down, you know, and I stand in the line and I'm just bawling. I'm just crying. And he just comes to me and he says something and lays a hand on me and boom, the power of God came over me and my belly was flowing like a river. And, mm. and what happened from there was the next step that most people don't understand. We all come to the cross. We all come down and get saved. But do we get discipled? Yes. You know, Amen to and that. Yeah, yeah. This is the, this is a this is an issue. It's a major issue, and <laughs> right. it's a major issue still today. Still this, today, yeah. In this nation, uh, people yes. are not getting discipled and yeah. not going through discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens? You know, the Bible talks about it. Says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. The reason I was perishing yeah. is because I had no knowledge. Yeah, it wasn't that just one experience, and then you're. It's all done. Your sanctification process will just immediately it begin itself. on its own. Yeah, yeah. but it, that's not what happens. You, it's you, not what happens. Yeah, and yeah. I think we, um, a lot of times, don't understand that. You know, I think even mm-hmm. the church at, at times yeah. don't understand yeah. that. We must disciple yeah. people. They, Which is a major point of Jesus's creation of using the church is for that work, right? Paul says, my goal is to present you all as mature in Christ. So his mission and his goal is discipling of the people in the churches, the leadership, and then it's passing on to the generations. But you're right. This is such a weak point in the church. It's a very weak point and it has been for a very long time because Mm -hmm. that was back in 91 when I got saved at that crusade. And what happened from there, nobody took me to the next step of saying, well, this is where you need to go. This is what you need to do. You know, everybody has this conversion. Then... What do I do? Where did my go? Yeah. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah. have this great moment of, you know, glory of God. Yeah. And I was walking in that. And as soon as I confessed that, the media persecuted me. Yeah, yeah. They said, here he is. Now he's found God. Now he doesn't act like he used to act. You know, he's not talking like he used to talk. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, he's very passive now. He's not uh, aggressive on the baseball field like he was. You know, all these things were coming sure, against sure. me, you know, <laughs> just because of uh, yeah. Confessing Christ. Yeah. And I just remember I ran into the wall one night at Dodger Stadium and dislocated my shoulder. Mm. And I just knew from there that I went back to the familiar because I didn't have a foundation of being disciples. Yes. I dislocated that shoulder and I went back to the familiar. I went back to drinking. I went back to womanizing mm. while I was out because I got injured. Nobody else was around me. I had to go through this rehab process and I didn't have this foundation of Christ. I knew that God was real and I love God. And, but I just, you know, if you don't have a foundation, I don't care who you are. If you don't build a foundation from discipleship, the enemy comes immediately and he steals what God has given to you. So you do not walk forward in this relationship with God. Satan comes back with more, Demons, right? It comes and occupies and fills all the rooms. It it, it, came with tons of them for me. See, people don't understand. It kept me out for another 15 years or so, being lost, being broken, you know, and going through everything that I had to go through. The womanizing, the drugs, ended up in a Florida state prison because of addiction with a T17169. Ended up with cancer twice and losing my left kidney in my second surgery. Just so many things that that took place and happened in my life, you know, through that process, through that period of missing discipleship, 
and being out there on my own. And I had to be out there on my own. And, and I couldn't fight the enemy with the word because I didn't know it. You didn't know it. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is impossible for yeah. you right. to win the battle yeah. when you don't unequipped, know. Yeah, you unequipped. Yeah, yeah, you, you're not yeah. prepared. Yeah. You have to be equipped and prepared to be able to fight him. And yeah. I, I think yeah. people don't realize and understand how serious it is and how important it is yeah. to really have that foundation before you actually have to put yourself out there. See, I, for me, they put me out there because I was in a public eye. Yeah, right. This you is know? a problem with uh, sort of the celebrity Christian, even in the Christian world, right? I mean, we, we push these people out to the front and say, look, oh, he we saved. have a great person. Yeah. And then... Yeah. That's, that's what happens. They, they go, oh, he's saved and he's doing this and he's doing music for the Lord and this and that. And they put him out there and he, there's no foundation. There's no biblical foundation. So guess what's going to happen? The enemy's going to come back in on the backside. And he's going to deceive you and he's going to pull you right back into the familiar yeah. Yeah. that you already know about. And that it, I've seen it happen. It happened to me and I've seen it happen to other people yeah. Yeah. that's been in that spotlight too, yeah. Yeah. talking about they love Christ, but don't really know him. Okay, so you've gone back through that cycle again for 15 years, you said. Where's the next break point where it was sort of like, okay, this is the end of this? Well, that's a good question because <laughs> I never really wanted it to be the end because I wanted to drown in it. Mm. And and the breaking point came from one day saying, well, God, if, it, if it's really your will for me to be well, show me a sign. Mm. You know, and it didn't come immediately, but it did come into my life. Mm. And he brought Tracy, who's my wife today. Mm. He brought her into my life. Yeah. And she was the saving grace of pulling me out of dope houses when I was shooting dope, smoking crack and wanted to die down in South Florida, banging on doors and pulling me out because she's in recovery, too. And she had just found God. Yeah. And she would be the saving grace of her pulling me out and saying, God has a plan for you. I says, no, why don't you and that God just leave me here and let me die? And she said, you're just not that lucky. So <laughs> God, I, God, yeah, yeah. God I really it. sent her to be Isn't the centerpiece of bringing me back all, of, not just back, but all the way, just all the way back, <laughs> yeah. you know, all the way back in yeah. from out of the pit into mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. And we just remember going through that process of sitting in the church. And, and I remember she said, well, you got to go through this process of you got to be disciples. We're going to sit in the back of the church. Yeah, yeah. You're not speaking. the center of attention anymore. Yeah. yeah. Not oh, be I love it. Or yeah, anything. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. And I sat for seven years. God sat me for seven years doing that. You know, I mean, people who like can't even sit for seven days. You know, and they said, how did you sit for seven years? I said, it was a place of going to discipline. I knew what discipline was because I played sports. Yes. So God said, you got to discipline yourself just like mm-hmm. you played sports. You have to discipline yourself to train yourself to be at the best that you want to be. So you got to actually do the same thing here in being discipled. And I had to sit in the back and start disciplining myself. And and then was one day I was saying, well, God, why why are you always speaking to Tracy? He says, because she spends time with me. You know, when are you going to spend time with me? You know, when are you going to do some of the things she's doing? I'm I'm putting putting her in your life to show you that look at her. She she follows me. She goes to church every Sunday. She goes to Bible study. Um, She takes her pad and pen to church and Bible study, and she takes notes, and she takes her notes before she gets in the service, and she goes home, and she studies them. Yeah. She spent time. 
Yeah. They said, the problem with you, 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 you don't have nothing. You don't spend time. So, yeah. you know, there's nothing to give to you if you're not going to participate. If you're not going to receive it. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. you're going to, so you have to participate in, yeah. in getting well and getting to know who God is and coming into relationships. So I finally realized that I had to do something different. Yeah. So I started turning the television off at night. Mm-hmm. I just started turning the cell phone off at night and I started spending time in the word of God and listening to the Holy Spirit speaks to me and mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit just starts teaching me the Bible wow. supernaturally because I started listening and I started following and I started wow. doing my part. Because I, I think most Christians, you know, they'll take the Bible and they go to church and then they'll put it on the shelf till next Sunday and then they'll pull it back down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> pull it back down yeah. and then they Blow take, the dust off it. Yeah, yeah. And think I should have a revelation from yeah. God, you yeah. know, but no, that's not how it that's works. That's not how it works. You know, and I realized that it was, it was about saturating myself mm-hmm. in the word of God and spending time with the spirit, the Holy spirit of God mm-hmm. and that I will learn who I am in Christ because I think God wants to show us all who we are in Christ. You know, that's the main purpose of salvation yeah. is to show us who we are. And, you know, and I think a lot of times people want this platform. Well, and that's not who we are in Christ. Yeah. Right. No, right. I'm, no, if that's he gives you are. a platform, it's a opportunity. It's really a service. Right. right. To, because you have to crucify yourself. You got to die. And have this, the spirit of humility, which is the spirit of Christ. Right. And then put that on display for people to see. Not a lot of people signing up for that. <laughs> no. Well, no. They're all for the cheers they, and the glory. Everybody but... wants the cheers, the glory, and the notoriety. <laughs> yeah. And everybody want to be the next this, the next that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, what God said, I just want you to be the next you. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I want you to come to the place where you will look at others and you will see you. Mm. And you will know where mm. I found you mm. and you will help pull them out of those same places. Yeah. That's the joy of coming to know who you are in Christ yeah. and everything. Not about anything good about me. It's yeah. about what's good yeah. about him. It's like uh, when Jesus recommissions Peter on the shore, yeah. feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Right. Yeah. That's the way you're going to show is you're now going to go and do the teaching that I've passed on to you. I mean, this is this is great. So here we are. You're now standing up in front of large groups and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's what we're talking about. You're not standing up to say, here I am, Daryl Strawberry, the great you know, slugger of the 80s and 90s. And, and let's talk about all my fame and all the, the wonderful things I've done for sport or whatever. Mm-hmm. You have to talk about those intimate details of your life that would carry shame, right? But you're using it for the proclamation of God's glory. But, right? but the thing is, look is, what God has done. Yeah. Because when you know what he's done inside of you, there's no shame. Right. And it's sure. because you start understanding the symbol of the cross, you know, and when you can come no to condemnation, that. condemnation. Yeah. When you yeah. come to that place of understanding the symbol of the cross is yeah. Jesus hung on the cross for you. So he, whatever. He bore it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's exactly right. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, the people who are sitting there are thinking, gosh, you know, Daryl. We thought you had it all together, and now now you're telling us you didn't. And you're saying, no, no, don't see that as a bad thing. No, right. see this as a as God was using that. You know, even in the moment where you had the the experience and the walking down and having hands laid on you, and then going back right. to the sinful patterns, and then God having to rescue again from that. Right, that's that's human nature. That's why we're referred to as sheep in the Bible, right? Because yeah. sheep are stupid, right? And we have to keep getting pulled back in, but that's the graciousness of God. Yeah. He uses every situation of our life from the mess to his message, every yeah. piece of it, Yeah, you know, because 
Some people think they're like too far away, and some people think they don't need. They, they, <laughs> right. they, are, they yeah, are, Those are the extremes on yeah, the spectrum, right? Yeah. They already got it. What do I need God for? Sure. You know, and they don't know their own condition. No, they don't. Even if their life doesn't look like what yours looked like, right? right? There's the sort of a whitewashedness. It's sort of the pharisaical thing of, but well, I'm a good moral person. Of I've course. done all right, but you don't understand the holiness of God, the nature of God, the attributes of God, and that you're actually repulsive. Right. to him in that sin nature. Exactly. That you need redemption and, and, and forgiveness. And, and they don't believe they do. No. You know, yeah. it, it, it's so real, you know, especially yeah. when you live a, a life of being, you know, a celebrity athlete, you know, somebody in the movies or stuff like that. I, I, well, we have it all together. We, you know, we have, don't you see, we have all the riches. We, we live in, yeah. we live in all the greatest this homes. The and, wants, yeah, right? this, yeah, yeah. This is what everybody's chasing, yeah. you know, and they're saying that this is us, this is who we are. And, yeah. And then they for you know, but the enemy forget to tell them. But at the end of your life, you come in with what me. What it'll account yeah, for? Yeah, that's you're right. You're gonna come. You, you get, I'll let you have all this. Yeah, yeah. You know because he did it to me. But I'll, I'll let you have all this. I'll let you have all the things. But I forgot to tell you at the end of your life, you're, you're gonna mine. come with me. Yeah. You're gonna belong to me. Yeah. You don't tell you that part. You know so. <laughs> And, um, and Christ is sitting in there and saying, just come, come as you yeah, are, come. you know, come as you are. And let me show you, you know, the purpose of life. Yeah. And that's what Christ does. Yeah. He shows yeah. us the purpose of life. Yeah. You know, the purpose of life is being transformed yeah. into his likeness yeah. that we can go and win somebody else. Cause it's all about winning the loss. You know, at the end of the day, if yeah. you're not winning the loss, then you're not doing anything for the kingdom. You're steadily just talking about yourself. You're tooting your own horn that's right. about how good you are. And, the reality is, is none of us are really good if it, if it wasn't for the Not goodness one. of God, you know, you know at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. So what you're doing now, you're going out on the road, you're doing all the speaking engagements. What are the things that are bringing you joy through all this? Salvation of people who are hurting yeah. and who are really sitting in these seats, church folks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, believing that they, they have it all together. And yeah. I don't want anyone to know that we have problems in our homes. We got kids. Or, you know, I had a chance because I come from addiction, too. And I had a chance to see. And when I had treatment centers in Florida, I had a chance to see kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't care what color they are. They're white suburban kids, and they're all addicted to opiates and heroin. Yeah. And they come from great families. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Lord, what's wrong? And he said, the problem is, is the families live behind these community gates and they act like they don't have these problems and their kids are dying for the right attention. So they go and end up getting the wrong attention and the wrong people and they end up doing the wrong things. Mm. He said, this is the brokenness that we have in this nation. It doesn't look broken from the outside, but behind the walls. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't look broken, you know, but it is broken. Yeah. And then we've come to this crossroad. I come to this crossroad with these parents and finding out that your kids need people that love and care for them. Yeah. That they're not just going to give them something to say, here, you have everything. Yeah. But I remember what that was like for me. I had everything, but I had nothing. Yeah. I just had stuff. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing that, that has happened to them. They end up with a bunch of stuff. And, and I sit with the kids and I say, well, tell me, young girls are like 18, 19 years old. They OD in three or four times. I goes, young lady, you're not going to have too many more times where you're going to OD and not be gone. Yeah. So I says, tell me what's wrong. He goes, what's, what do you mean, Mr. Darrell? I said, something happened to you. Yeah. They said, how do you know? I said, because something happened to me. My father rejected me, beat me. Mm-hmm. You know, and told me I never amount to nothing. Lay me across the bed, 
take off my shirt and beat the crap out of me with an extension cord. And I had to take it. And then tears come out of their eyes. They goes, yeah, you do know, Mr. Darrell, huh? I said, yeah. Then I said, look, I was addicted to drugs and addicted to this and everything else because I was broken on the inside and I was empty on the inside. The pain was great on the inside. I said, what is your problem? They said, well, I've been raped by this guy. I've been molested by my uncle. I said, there you go right there. That is the deep problem that keeps you from moving forward. It's not like, well, you can't just keep doing this. You can't just keep using because that's what the family say. I don't know what's wrong with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're looking at the symptoms. Yeah. yeah. And we never take the time to cut them open. Get to the core. Get to the real issues, yeah, the yeah. deep issues that's yeah. going on inside of them. Yeah. Because everything has been covered up mm-hmm. because we live this different life and we don't have these problems. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's the part we miss about Christ in our life and Christ in our home and Christ in our kids. Yeah. And I tell the parents where well, I said, the kids don't see God as an experiment in their life because they don't go to church because you don't take them to church. They've already told me. They don't understand why we don't go to church. What? Mr. Darrell, we don't know anything about God, you know. Our house don't go to church. Yeah. You know, so that there told me, you know, mm-hmm. where we were mm-hmm. as a, a nation of people when it came to the importance of what faith is really all about. It's like if kids don't see that example of what it looks like, then they're going to go to the totally opposite of what's out there yeah. because they have a different handle on things than we did because they're social media driven yes. and they're antisocial, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 It's like an oxymoron. Or something, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so that's what we deal with and that's what I, I, I deal with loving people because mm-hmm. see Christ loved me when I was broken yeah. and empty yeah. and I came to him snotty nose and everything. And the love that he mm-hmm. gave to me, mm-hmm. he, gave it to me in such a deep way that I would go back and I would give it to somebody else to show them that, you know, you're not a mistake. We just make mistakes, you know? And and I think that's what we all have to try to convey to people. When I see people and Mm -hmm. people that come to church and you see the people, like I said, you see the people in the church can't get victory because they won't let Jesus be Lord over their life. They straddle that fence. Yeah. Well, I go to church and well, I throw a tick my box. Yeah, tick my yeah. box, check my box off, and yeah, you know, I throw something in in every now and then. But I'm really not all committed, you know. Don't make me do that. And I think you know more than anything because I've traveled this nation a lot over the last you know 15 years since the Lord called me into preaching, and I did a lot of men's conference. Yeah, and a lot of broken men who They're not who, leading their family well, not leading their family. Yeah. will not commit. They they'll idolize a football player with a jersey and a name yeah. and a football game instead yeah. of who Christ is, you know, I, I, the creator I, I, of yeah, the universe. I've yeah, seen yeah. it at all these different men. And when I preach and get an altar call and then they all come and then someone comes to me afterwards. And you know, the first thing I say, Hey, Mr. Darrell, you think you can pray for me? I said, did you come down to the altar? When I, I'm stuck in porn. I said, did you come down? I said, no, I don't want nobody. No, I said, listen, that's the problem right there. Yeah. It's not about anybody else. No, God knows. Yeah, that's right. You know, if you go and give it to God, God will help you overcome that. I said, you know, and that's what they're afraid. Yeah. But I said, you'd be the first one to stand up when a touchdown or interception happened in the game. And they're like, yeah, you're right. I said, see, that's the problem. That's the problem with what we're dealing with, Mm. of being well. You know, we want to look well on the outside. Yeah. But the whole house is burning up on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Um, We could probably go another hour, but I know you've got things you've got to do. So, Daryl Strawberry. We'll be praying for your speaking events coming up and into the future. I'm grateful for your ministry. 
thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. God bless. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.